This is Dr. Bill Griffin, the Vice President for Dental Ministries with the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. And it's time once more for our monthly episode of Dental Soundbites. Today, you will hear an inspirational story of a husband and wife physician team led by the Lord to care for the needy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Drs. Timothy and Nikki Allen. Dr. Mike Chupp and I recorded this with the Allens for the CMDA Matters podcast a while back. And by the way, if you haven't been following CMDA Matters, I encourage you to check it out. There's a new release every Thursday. Enjoy and be inspired by today's episode of Dental Soundbites. I visited the CMDA ministry in Buffalo, New York to see firsthand the work that passionate CMDA champions are doing together with several local area ministries to battle the opioid epidemic. It was an incredible example of how Christian healthcare professionals are making a difference in the lives of people who are enslaved by substance abuse. So it's fitting that our guests in this week's program, they've dedicated themselves to engaging in this growing menace of addiction in our country today. I'm joined for this conversation by Dr. Tim and Dr. Nikki Allen. Both are family physicians who've been married for more than 20 years. Together they are serving the underserved in and around Milwaukee as they demonstrate the love of Christ to their patients, especially those who are struggling with addiction. I think that you'll hear today in their testimonies a heavenly harmony of Christ-centered care to the glory of God. Let's jump right in to our recent conversation. Well, we have a rather fun interview for you today on CMDA Matters. We've got Dr. Tim and Dr. Nikki Allen, a double doctor combination from uh, Cudahy, Wisconsin. Dr. Tim and Nikki uh, have been married for over 20 years, have four kids. They started Allen Family Medicine together. It's an independent clinic that provides primary care addiction and psychiatric services focused on the underserved. Uh, They're in a suburb, I believe, of Milwaukee. And they also, as if they're not busy enough, uh, they are pastor and associate pastor of Cudahy Christian Church, which they planted in order to try to help reach their patients. I'm joined by our vice president of dental ministry, Dr. Bill, or Griff Griffin. Uh, Welcome, Griff. Yes, thanks. I've looked forward to this for quite a while. Well, Tim and Nikki, welcome to CMDA Matters. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, you two set up your practice a number of years ago, and I understand you did that with really a conscious desire to help the poor. When did that desire begin, and how did you go about it? Well, I would say that both of us are fully aware of the fact that we've earned our way to hell and have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And so when we chose to become doctors, one of the things that was most important to us was trying to make sure that we were demonstrating the love of Christ to the people that we're interacting with. We had all kinds of ideas where we'd go and God put us in St. Francis and Cudahy, which are two little burbs just south of Milwaukee. And that's where we were. Okay, got it. So we served where we were with the people that we had the chance to know for about 14 and a half, 15 years. And then life changed and we realized we needed to go a little bit more independent. 
So when we were contemplating places to start our, our clinic, the most important thing to us was that we had invested 14, 15 years in people who we'd grown to love. And the ones that we loved the most really were the ones who had the least, the people who are on Medicare, who are Medicaid, who have mental health issues, who have addiction issues. And when we were contemplating places to locate the clinic, we pretty readily went against what they recommend in regards to how to locate your practice in a place that will serve you well, because we wanted to focus in a place where our patients were. And it was super important to us that the patients who had the least means to see us would have the easiest way to get there. So we ruled out any place that wasn't on a bus line, we ruled out any place that was highfalutin or fancy because that's not who our patients are, nor is that who we want to be. And God provided in a really amazing way with a building that is right between low-income housing, senior housing, and on a bus route mm. in Cudahy which is not the place that you want to go if you're trying to establish a well-financed clinic with fancy things and a, and a comfortable lifestyle. But the most important thing to us was that we believe we are missionaries, carefully disguised as family physicians, trying to share the love of Christ with people who need it. And of all of the least of these, those who have mental health issues, those who have traumatic backgrounds, those who come from poverty and destroyed families qualify as the least of these mm -hmm. in my book any day of the week. And so it has been uh, an interesting adventure and we are incredibly thankful for where God has put us in that area. And as you mentioned, you see a large number of addiction patients in your practice. And this is an area where many doctors kind of shy away from for, for a number of reasons. How did this become such a big part of the care that you two provide? Obviously, I was like a lot of people when we started out. And I remember when I was in residency, um, I had a whole cohort of um, marijuana smoking moms that I was supposed to manage their pregnancies. And they just drove me crazy because they didn't show up to appointments. They didn't follow through. And I would go and I would ask advice of my professors and I'd be like, okay, what can I do to help these women be successful? And usually I got, you know, shrugs and funny looks. And I used to go home to my wife all the time and say, if I ever really hate myself, I'm going to figure out a way to do adolescent obstetric addiction. And God has a sense of humor about that. <laughs> um, so I, I really, it, I, I disliked doing that. And then um, got into practice and had a young lady in my practice who I'd taken care of really since early elementary school. And she got into high school, got into drugs, got into trouble. And all of a sudden she's in my office and she's pregnant. She's on heroin a few minutes of looking at things and you're like, okay, well, you can't stop opiate suddenly in pregnancy. It quadruples the risk of pregnancy loss. So I need to get you on Suboxone or Methadone. And I think through God's providence, as I was calling around trying to get her set up with somebody immediately, everybody told me to get lost. They didn't want to take care of pregnant women. So as I was waiting on hold, I'm looking at things and I saw, well, if I take an eight hour online course, I can prescribe Suboxone. And so I said, well, I'll go home and turn on my computer and you come back tomorrow and we'll get you started. And so I started caring for her and I realized if you ever want to be abused, if you ever want to be discriminated against, be a woman in a medical setting who is pregnant and struggling with addiction because people will treat you like dirt. Mm -hmm. They will treat you horribly. Mm -hmm. And seeing these women and seeing their pain and seeing where they came from, I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? 
I think God has called me to care for these women that no one else wants to. Mm-hmm. What was originally something which I really didn't like became something I love because I cared about these individual people and I learned how to do it in an effective way. I think mm-hmm. the thing that drove me crazy in residency was just that I couldn't, I, I had no tools and I had nothing I could learn from. And so God gave me those tools so that I could love on these people who other people reject. Well, Tim, now fast forward a couple of decades, and in your article uh, for CMDA, our magazine, entitled Gifts and Miracles, My Unexpected Journey into Addiction Medicine, you mentioned that one of the miracles has been that over the course of your practice, you guys have had over 500 patients uh, addicted to heroin, not a single death, and yet predictions of 30 to 60 percent mortality rate in that population. Is that still the case today, a couple of years later? And wow, what, what an amazing fact. I've now been doing addiction treatment. It's been a few years since I wrote the article. So I'm now nine years in and um, well um, in the thousands of patients. And I've had two deaths in nine years, which is still just amazing. And and 95% of my gals who have gone through pregnancy in my program still have custody of their children. And so yeah, God is doing amazing things that way. Well, a project that, uh... Dr. Griff um, has been working on now for a couple of years that you were involved with is the production of faith prescriptions. And Griff, you've been traveling around the country, uh, multiple cities, and presenting a real nice one-hour summary of multiple episodes. And while we didn't plan it this way, one of those episodes was with Dr. Tim Allen about addiction medicine and ministry. And you shared with me something this morning, very interesting, that one of the hottest topics that you've been asked to present and to, to, to summarize for your audience is this topic of addiction ministry. True. Uh, I've had opportunity to present faith prescriptions across the nation at various places. And the way I do that is I've created short video excerpts from each of the first 23 episodes of Faith Prescriptions, and I'll give those in attendance the opportunity to choose one at a time of those, and I'll show the short video uh, excerpt, and then we'll discuss it. And invariably, whether I'm in Portland, Oregon, or Boston, Massachusetts, or Cincinnati, Ohio, or at the recent national convention in Indianapolis, one of the very first topics that people want to consider is the topic of addiction medicine. And uh, Tim, do you have thoughts as to why it is that that's such a hot topic right right now? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, The first of which is it's been the number one cause for death for adults in the United States for years. Last year, we had 100,000 people die of overdose. So clearly, it's a big deal. And lots of people know somebody, a family member, a friend, um, you know, your friend's kid, somebody who's died. And so I think that there's this, we feel this hurt. We see people who are dying and being destroyed by it. So that's one thing. And I think that we also feel so often like we are just hamstrung we're trying to deal with it one of the things that i look at when i'm talking to people about um when i'm talking to other physicians about treating um addiction is that we become frustrated when we don't have tools right so one of the things i least like treating is a cold right because people come in and i'm like "Eh, i'm still terrible at that you know um and so that's not fun to do when you have tools all of a sudden something becomes a lot more fun to, to deal with and so when we have a capacity to treat that, we have a capacity to change lives and, and that becomes fun to do. So I think people cho- are interested in it because it's destructive and because it's common 
and because we feel overwhelmed and incapable of dealing with it. I feel like part of the reason why addiction is such a big issue right now is that this world is falling apart. And so many of the things that used to be our safety nets are gone. We used to be able to have families that gathered together that support each other. We used to be able to have normal schedules. We used to be able to have the normalcy of regular life and routine. Mm -hmm. And as so much of that has gotten destroyed of late, people are becoming more and more desperate. This world is broken and people are longing for a way to deal with the pain with the struggles, with the grief, with the sorrow, with the fear. And through that, I think there are so many people who just don't have an idea where to go or what to do. So hiding, disguising, covering up the pain and the uncertainty with drugs, alcohol, or relationships is something that has just exploded. And I feel like there is such an urgency in that because we are all hopeless apart from Christ. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know him, the ability to try and deal with the intensity of all of those loss is overwhelming. So I feel like part of the reason why addiction is becoming such a top topic of conversation is that we are feeling this grief, this loss, this struggle. We don't know how else to handle it. And we desperately want to do something. We just don't know what. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing those very profound thoughts, uh, very challenging to us. For either one of you, you know, most of our listeners, healthcare professionals, our uh, CMDA members, they're likely not to pursue an addiction medicine fellowship uh, as you have, Tim. And, and yet 100,000 lives, as you mentioned, have been taken in the previous 12 months. How can healthcare professionals of faith, uh, our members and others who see Clearly, one in four Americans are dying from overdoses. How can they get more engaged in fighting this battle, even if they're not an addictionologist? Well, as somebody who's not a fellowship-trained addictionologist, I can easily answer that Thank question. Thank you. Go ahead, Nikki. <laughs> First and foremost, before we can do anything else, we have to make sure that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves, mm -hmm. because we cannot offer anything to anybody else if we don't. And I feel like that's one of the things that it makes addiction medicine, in some regards, easier is that the people in terms of sharing Christ with is that people who are struggling with addiction don't need to be convinced that they have blown it. Whereas so many of the rest of us feel pretty comfortable that we're like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not, hmm, nope, <laughs> I'm, I've earned my way to hell. I've done it. So part of it is recognizing before we can offer anything to anybody else, I think we need to examine ourselves a bit and we need to decide if, if we're here to be comfortable and to try and do good work for God or if we realize that we are in desperate need of salvation through repentance, that's a big, big, big first step. Second then is praying and giving our lives over to God and saying, okay, God, I don't know what I want to do with this. And I'm a little overwhelmed, mm -hmm. but being willing to set aside comfort, ease, and simplicity to be able to follow after Jesus in the path that he goes is incredibly important. Third is recognizing all people have value and they're we often to call them addicts no these are individual human beings who've come from tragic situations of untreated mental health the vast majority of the time 
and recognizing that Jesus died for each and every one of these people, then trying to understand mental health because so much of addiction comes as a result of untreated mental health. And so not being afraid to take the risk. You know, when Tim was talking about how he became involved in addiction originally, the reason why none of the clinics were treating the women is because it's too high risk. Hmm. Oh, well, but they're high risk because if something happens then I can, you know what? I'm willing to risk my life to take care of people. I'm all in. So there has to be a degree of recognition that if Jesus died for these people and for me, well, then golly gee, I got to be willing to sacrifice for them too. And then looking at getting X waiver trained, the Suboxone training is not that hard. There is a, a course that you take, you can study ahead of time. There's usually an online portion that you can study ahead of time. And then there's either in-person course or, or an online course where they teach you the nuts and bolts of it. But part of it too is recognizing it's overwhelming and there's too much. And that's one of the reasons it's really convenient to be married to my husband because he's brilliant and he's really good at all these things. But the benefit of that is that Tim has also put together lots of little videos that help people like me to understand how to approach these topics. How do you speak about these things? How do you do the nuts and bolts of this? Because we want to do it, right? We have this heart, we have this desire, but we don't know how. And Tim, I know you'd put together a lot of videos on when you're, I think you're planning on doing more yet as well. Yeah. So on, on my website, timothyallenmd.com, I do have videos that I've put up for people to look at to show how I counsel people and how I talk about addiction treatment as well and how I do that from a Christian perspective. So that's an, a resource that people can use to learn about that. In addition to the, you know, the ex waiver training, because the nuts and bolts of these things is important. And ex waiver training is eight hours and it teaches you things. And one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, live people can accept Jesus. Yep. And so my first step is to keep the patient alive, yep. let them know they're cared about. And then that buys me the opportunity to tell them about who Jesus is. Well, this is tremendous information that can be a great blessing to our members. And speaking of the nuts and bolts, Tim, I remember in your Faith Prescriptions episode, one of the central concepts in this treatment is the idea of giving them something better. Can you drill down a little bit more into that for our listeners? Absolutely. So I often, when I meet someone who struggles with drug addiction, I tell them, you know, people don't get into drugs or alcohol because they're like, my life is going great. I'd like to just trash everything. Mm -hmm. They're struggling with something. They're missing something. They need something taken care of. Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is get to a point where I can give them God because God really takes the same position in life that um, drugs do. The interesting thing is that people who have a relationship with God when they're stressed and overwhelmed, they go to God. People who use drugs when they're stressed and overwhelmed, they go to drugs. People who have a relationship with God, their social life and their, and their activities revolve around their relationship with God and church. People who struggle with drugs, it surrounds around drugs. God gives us identity and definition of self. If you talk to someone who struggles with addiction, they don't struggle with addiction. They mm -hmm. are an addict. Yep. An addict defines who they are. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is give them new definition and new ways to meet the reasons why they're using. And I find that when I begin that way, people are like, oh, well, that's a different way of looking at it. It's not because I'm a flawed person. It's because I need something. Mm 
Okay. And then what I want to do is I want to give them something. And and I explain to them like, well, you know, the reason I, I start out with talking about these things is because the most successful way that people have to getting out of addiction is their relationship with God. And I'm a Christian. And so I think the most important passage about addiction in the Bible is Romans chapter seven, starting with verse 14, where Paul says, why is it that I do the things I don't want to do? And I don't do the things that I do want to do. Who will free me from this body of death? And I tell him, like, if there's anything in the Bible that shows you that God understands people who struggle with addiction, mm-hmm. it's that passage. Mm-hmm. And so often I see the patients brighten up. They're like, wow, that's in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. in the Bible. And so the Bible gets you. It understands you. The Bible also says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago, the Bible knew that the solution to drugs was not to take things away from you. It was to give you something better. Mm -hmm. If you have God, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're transformed by that, those holes in your life are filled in. And now... As a whole person, you don't need to go to that stuff because you're already taken care of. One of the things that I know, Tim, you've talked about is how often you get a chance to talk to somebody and tell them they have value and how many times people have said, nobody's ever said that to me before. Yeah. And that's one of the things that comes up a lot. I mean, so often people who see me for addiction, they come from horrible backgrounds. Yeah. They have been abused. They've been neglected. Neglect is such a big thing. You know, one of the things when I'm talking to people and and they're asking about how they keep their kids out of addiction and those sorts of things is studies show that if you if you have sit down with dinner with your kid four times per week, that reduces the risk that they're going to start drugs by 80 percent. And I tell this to my addiction patients, they're like, you've been reading my mail every day. We got food and we went to our room by ourselves and ate alone. Parents didn't know them. They didn't interact with them. They don't know what it's like to be loved. And especially as I take care of pregnant women, I'll have a woman who misses an appointment. And I'm like, hey, what happened? And they're like, well, I got called into work. And I said, well, you know, you can just tell them you have a doctor's appointment. Like, well, they might fire me. I'm like, pregnancy is a protected class. That's super illegal. You tell them you have a doctor's appointment. You have to go. Remember that you have value. And it's important that you're taken care of. And so many times at that point, these young women tear up and they tell me you're the first person in my life who has ever told me I have value. Wow. You know, Tim, spiritual care, I believe is just the, the literature is on, on in addictionology is loaded with evidence that spiritual care transformation, you know, the 12 step programs and AA that spiritual care makes a difference and that I believe the 92% of those who have a spiritual transformation, you write, have a prolonged sobriety. What evidence is coming out to support that idea of transformation and spiritual care must be, no matter what secular uh, researchers uh, have found, is is a critical component. Yeah. So one of the the interesting things I, I did a, a virtual conference um, thing, and it was they had a breakout session on twelve step programs, talking about how they work, and it was it was very interesting because they have this group of people who publish papers and they're talking about it. And they're like, well, you know, 12 step programs have a 30% success rate. So we want to know who are these 30% because ideally what you could do is shove more people in that 30% (laughs) or at the very least not send the 70% who doesn't work for, right? If you, if you understood that. So they looked at things and they're like, well, do people who succeed at 12 step programs have a higher motivation? Nope. It doesn't matter if you went on your own, if you're dragged by a spouse, you're sent by a court order, doesn't make a difference. Do they have more or less drugs? 
Nope. Doesn't make a difference. Um, more or less mental health problems. Nope. Better support. Does it matter how many meetings you go to? Nope. Does it matter if you have a sponsor? No. Does it matter if you work the steps? No. They're like, there's only one thing that makes a difference. And that is people who have a spiritual transformation have a 92% long-term success rate with sobriety. And so it is getting God that transforms people. But the people who are on that panel are very uncomfortable with that. Conclusion. Oh yes, the, their conclusion was that <laughs> you know, we're, well, in, obviously we we're at risk here research. for being religious, aren't we? <laughs> right, because I th- what was their final line? Yeah, like, so yeah, the final line was you know obviously we need to do re- more research because at this point we're at risk of endorsing religion, which heaven forbid. <laughs> yes, right. I, for some reason I'm comfortable with that. But yeah, so it's really this relationship which transforms people, and I want to give people what is good, give them what's better. So that's what drives me in doing this. Well, speaking of spiritual interventions, Tim, I remember when you came to Bristol, you mentioned that prayer is a central component of your treatment approach. Share your approach with us. So I'm very convinced of the power of prayer. And so early on, starting with this, what I did is I have a list of the first names of all the patients I've taken care of. I keep it in a 256-bit encryption um, <laughs> HIPAA-compliant um, application on my phone because you know I want to be above board. But, um, but I have a list of the first names of everyone I've taken care of, and I pray for them by name every single day. And that is what I give credit for the incredibly low mortality rate. You know, I try hard, but I'm not that good. It is only God who deserves that glory, and he's the one who does it. And there's nothing magical about praying over these things, but it is relying on God and giving him the glory for the success that allows me to move forward. And it doesn't take that long. I mean, I pray for about 2,000 people in a morning. It takes me about 20 minutes, but I believe that's an essential portion of how God works. When I recognize that I'm utterly dependent on him for each step that I take, then he receives the glory and he works in my life and he works in their lives and he um, does amazing things. Amen. Wow. I was introduced to the problem that uh, we have contributed to as healthcare professionals, Tim. I remember coming back from Kenya where I've been serving as a missionary for a few years and I was on the wards in a hospital in Michigan and a post-op patient Noticed that she was very comfortable and coughed for me, used the incentive spirometer, looked great. And a nurse came in at that time while I was seeing her, and uh, and I saw she had a syringe. I said, what's, what's that? I said, well, Mrs. So-and-so, Mrs. Smith, I'll call her, ranked that she had a, a 1 out of 10 on the pain scale. And we just, we cannot, you know, this fifth vital sign, we cannot allow uh. her to have a 1. And so she yeah. was going to get, and I said, I don't think she needs that medication. She said, well, Dr. Chupp, I, I have to do this. This is our protocol here on the, on the med surge ward. We yep. cannot allow a one. Yep. So what, what have been your observations and what contribution have we as healthcare professionals been in this opioid epidemic? I, again, feel like there's a certain amount of discomfort with pain. And in med school, they taught us, like you said, pain is the fifth vital sign. We need to treat pain aggressively. There is a bit of discomfort, I think, in in any of our lives that, okay, if there's something wrong, we need to fix it. Part of that was perhaps motivated by financial gain from other companies, but regardless, part of the reason I think it was so successful is that we don't like discomfort. We don't like pain. If we see somebody struggling in anything, we want to do something. And part of, I think, the issue that we've had with opioids is that when we have a discomfort, 
we want to just fix it. And so we taught people, oh, if you have any discomfort, let's just, let's just fix it. And so we used opioids aggressively. As we have found out, the longer somebody uses opioids, the more they need opioids, Mm -hmm. the more receptors I believe that their brain makes to try and need more. And it becomes this endless cycle. In many ways, we in medicine contributed greatly to the issues that we have with opioid addiction because we have failed to teach people how to deal with discomfort. And we have failed to recognize that pain is actually a really appropriate and good thing. If we had no pain, man, we'd be walking around on broken legs. We don't like diabetic neuropathy because you can't tell if you have a cut in your foot and then it gets nasty and infected and boy, everything goes bad. Pain is for a reason. Now, obviously we wanna try and minimize pain, but more and more studies have shown you can do that pretty well with anti-inflammatories and Tylenol in the vast majority of cases. But we have created this system where pain is bad, pain is to be avoided. And that I think ties in so well with what we're seeing with the rest of life, that if there is discomfort, if there is pain, we need to medicate it. We need to run away from it. Something is wrong. As opposed to recognizing, okay, there is pain. How am I gonna cope with this pain? What am I gonna do with this pain? And that again is where if we don't have a hope in God, and if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, well, then if this world is all we've got, man, you're right. We better medicate everything we've got. And quite frankly, if this world is all we've got, Tim and I are wasting our time and to be pitied among all people. Mm-hmm. But we know that there is something so much deeper and so much more important than just addressing physical pain. And so many of the patients I think that we're seeing who struggle still with opioid addiction, pain defines their lives. Both Tim and I have heard people, but you don't understand my pain. Well, interestingly, we do actually have some significant experience with pain. Tim has got chronic back issues, Sheeran's disease, and has had countless vertebral fractures. I have had five knee surgeries. I stopped stopped counting how many dislocations my left kneecap after 20. I've broken bones and it dislocates. We're familiar with pain. It's not that. It's a matter of how we're viewing pain and how we're viewing our approach to it, whether this is something that is bad and defines us, or whether this is a struggle that makes us reliant on something else. And the something else can be opioids, drugs, alcohol, relationships, or it can be a realization that I need God. Well, I think Dr. Griffin will agree with me. We've heard from physician priests today and been challenged and inspired. We've been uh, talking with Dr. Tim and Dr. Nikki Allen from Allen Family Medicine. Thank you for being faithful and for um, shedding some light for us, Tim. It's a light on my path, each one of our paths, one-on-one ministry each and every day uh, with patients who come into that exam room. God bless you both. And you guys as well. May God be glorified. Thank you. I'm so glad that Griff and I had the opportunity to speak with CMDA members like Tim and Nikki because I think they're truly embracing CMDA's vision of bringing the hope and healing of Christ to our world. And they're doing that as competent and caring healthcare professionals. What a great example of how healthcare professionals who love their patients 
are willing to look beyond their pain to see their hearts and care about them as individuals who are precious to our God. Dr. Allen's ministry to patients struggling with addiction can inspire us in a number of ways. As he mentioned, most doctors do not look forward to treating patients with chemical addictions. But the Lord has used this formidable challenge in Dr. Allen's life to lead many to faith in Christ. Several years ago, when I was in private practice, the Lord gave me the opportunity to help a patient named Crystal, struggling with chemical addictions, come to faith in Christ. It was a group effort involving several members of my dental team, as well as others outside of our office, who helped Crystal to see that God's grace was greater than any problem she faced. What a privilege it is to join God in His work of growing faith in the lives of our patients and colleagues. Our national convention is right around the corner, and here's Jamie giving you the details regarding your final chance to join us. Have you registered yet for the 2023 CMDA National Convention? Time is ticking away, and you don't want to miss your chance to reserve your spot. This year, we are gathering together in the Cincinnati, Ohio area at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center on April 27th through 30th. This convention provides great opportunities to learn about current health and social issues, renew your faith through worship, and network with other Christian healthcare professionals and exhibiting organizations. Don't wait. Visit natcon.cmda.org to register today. If you'll be joining us in Cincinnati, I very much look forward to seeing you there. If not, please join me in prayer for the speakers as they share their stories and for the attendees to grow in their ability to minister to their patients with the love that Christ provides. The Apostle John summed it up succinctly and powerfully in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 19. We love because God first loved us. Until next time, God bless. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.